procrastination, midlife, social anxiety. What do those things have in common? Well, basically, it is the topics of the last three episodes of Imperfect Action. So episode 88, we had Peter Ludwig talking about the end of procrastination. And what are some steps that you can use, some actions you can take to end procrastination? So very important. In fact, that is a topic near and dear to my heart. In fact, the name of this podcast, Imperfect Action, was actually from a phrase that I came up with years ago to inspire me to take action, and is that imperfect action beats perfect inaction. It was always easy for me to get caught up in the procrastination that comes from perfectionism. And he talks about, Peter talks about, how do we end procrastination? And then we had Dave Conley. So Dave is a returning guest. Dave was one of the first guests on the show, episode 13, and he talked about radical self-care back then. And now he was joining to talk about what are some midlife practices, some things that we can do for those of us who are in midlife, or if you haven't reached midlife, maybe can start doing now in order to create an amazing second half of life. And basically this started with the topic that, you know, we always hear the myth that it's never too late to get started, but he points out that, yeah, there is a point where it's too late. So we need to get started today before we miss our opportunity. And then with this episode, with episode 90, we have Mark Metry, and he is really looking at, well, his book just released the day we recorded this, and his book is really about getting over social anxiety. So we spend a lot of time talking about that, but also just mental health in general, which if you've been a listener for a while, you know that I'm not a mental health professional at all, but I think it's an extremely important topic that either we're not talking about or we tend to not talk about it from the right perspective. So I was really excited to hear Mark to discuss this with him because He's not a healthcare professional either, but he's gone through his own challenges and his own struggles and looked at the research that's been done and really figured out some simple things that we can do to help us move forward when we're feeling struck by anxiety, when we're feeling uh, stuck by shyness, when we're feeling just unable to get out of our own way. So really excited to bring this episode to you. Well, let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards. And of course, this is the show where we're looking for ways to get out of our own way, take action, move forward. Uh, today, we've got Mark Metry on. Mark? Brock, what's up, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, for the guest, who are you? What are you up to? Yeah, man. So I, my name is Mark Metry. I live on the East Coast of the United States. I am, quite frankly, just uh, obsessed with always trying to... Um, improve myself in meaningful ways that really encompass a, a, a holistic, real version of, of success. And I think number one, that's being of service to other people. And number two, your self-growth, your rate of self-evolution. And, you know, personally for me, I talk a lot about, about a lot of topics, but I kind of focus on uh, mental health transformation how that relates to entrepreneurs, how that relates to the average person. And I'm also, as of today, um, an author of my first book ever. It's called Screw Being Shy. Learn how to manage social anxiety and be yourself in front of anyone, 
that um, is up on Amazon. The audiobook is coming soon. And so that's, that's what I'm all about, man. Awesome. So uh, yeah, you're up to a lot of things. In fact, if, if people go to your website, I noticed that it says, you know, not only are you a podcaster, an author and a speaker, but the first thing you list is human. And so tell me about that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, I've, you know, I'm sure uh, like you or like a lot of people listening, you know, I've always, I've always done things like my entire life when it came to professional success. I've like, I was, <laughs> I started a YouTube channel in like 2007. Uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been launching things. And so I've seen a real pattern where people just sort of get to know you for like your professional label of success, whether it's podcast host or author or speaker or whatever that is, or CEO. And I think a, a major aspect of kind of living within that label is really just receiving a lot of validation from it. And I think when you receive a lot of validation from it, from outside sources and even yourself, you tend to sort of build up a bit of an ego. And then the issue is, is if you build it up, if you build up an ego in one of those titles, then you're very fragile. You are at the whim of whatever people have to say about that title, about that ego, because you've built your life in it. And so for me, like first and foremost, I'm a human because all these things are just what I do podcasting, writing, speaking, uh, running a business, all these different things are just what I do, but it's not necessarily sort of who I am. And it's okay to be a writer. It's okay to be a podcast host, but I'm also super wary on just kind of understanding that like the, at a fundamental level, I'm a human and, and no title added or removed can remove that from me and remove the innate value that I have regardless of what I'm doing with my life. And so that's why I put human. <laughs> well, well, how do you think that would change things? I don't know if you've thought about this before, if we all put human first. Yeah. I mean, of course I, I, I think about it and I think, um, you know, I think for sure, like that can be good in the sense of, um, of, you know, a lot of us, I think when we, live in these titles when we live in these accolades then we might belong to a group and i think that kind of group thinking tribal thinking of you know of course um a lot of great things in history have been done by groups but um i think a major uh part of that is sort of uh only sort of reserving towards your group towards your tribe on planet earth because you know our brain and even today our brain evolved in an environment where resources were scarce and so it wasn't really like this uh, this abundant world that we live in today where you really had to fight you really had to claw and chew for what you have over the other person and so i think we need to change that to understanding that our group our tribe is actually everyone it's actually all humans and i think if we can do that then maybe people will lead with with human you know, leading behaviors in first, you know, trying to, instead of first judge someone, maybe actually listen to them and kind of understand them from a point of empathy, right? Like I'm sure for a lot of us, like the entire world uh, has been shaken up uh, by this whole coronavirus. And you see people because of sort of these survival uh, instincts and because of the situation kind of do things they normally wouldn't do, whether it's push people around, 
or act rude or we've seen like varying uh, companies and, and, and uh, startups kind of, um, and again, I'm not trying to sort of make fun of the financial situation in the economy. That's very real. But there's a lot of startups, there's a lot of companies that are doing things that they've always wanted to do that are hiding them and, and sort of blaming them on the coronavirus. Like there are companies letting go of like teams of people, 30 people because of sort of what's going on in the world. And, um, you know, from a personal sort of human to human sort of way, that's not really sort of human, uh, human leading. And then also I think we have to account of the fact that, you know, sort of as great as it is to sort of tout the greatness of human beings of what I'm doing and like humanity first and all that stuff, there is still very much a, um, sort of a natural primitive version of what it means to be a human and what it means to sort of have a brain. And a lot of us, you know, our, our brains are the ones in control of us, not the other way around. And so someone could, you know, potentially have issues uh, with their brain or just not and kind of run off these survival instincts. And so for sure, with sort of both of those sides, I definitely don't think it's perfect to be a human being, even if you're sort of leaning in that human dominant behavior, because I just like think like everything, nothing is perfect. We are all imperfect, even if that is like this quote unquote perfect idea of a human being, you know? So, uh, you know, definitely love the, the thought that, you know, yes, we, we've had tribes in the, in the past, but ultimately we are all a part of the same tribe. You know, we're all part of this human. Um, yeah. and, and, and kind of thinking about it bigger like that. Um, and yes, there, there are certainly some imperfections that, that come with being human, but th- those are kind of with, throughout all of us. And now switch gears just a little bit here. Uh, I mean, you'd mentioned you'd had a a YouTube channel back, geez, that must've been right when YouTube really started or at least started to get some traction. Um, You know, knowing just a a little bit about your history, you've had some some pretty quick highs and some pretty quick lows. Right. And and so uh, can you just tell us a little bit about some of the highs and lows and more importantly, you know, what have you learned from going through them? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so I think one is like for me, my parents they immigrated to America a year before I was born. They came to this country with two hundred dollars, and so growing up, I didn't really have a ton of money, and so that kind of bred the ideal circumstances for me to become an entrepreneur and to try to make my own money. And um, I was at this ever since I was a kid. And by the time I was about 15 years old, 16 years old, I became pretty financially independent. I became self-made to a, to a degree. And, um, you know, that was great for a lot of reasons. I mean, it completely changed my life. It completely changed what I was able to do, but also it, um, you know, sort of not disrupted, but it just sort of made me grow in the sense of this. So, you know, when you come from an environment where you don't have money and let's say you are facing some stress and problems in life you get down the line of thinking that because you don't have it that's the problem in your life and if you get it then that problem in your life is solved and you're happy and so for me like i was very much running on the unconscious framework the unconscious narrative of like the american dream of like go to school, um, get a job or, 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 or do your own thing, whatever, make money. And then you can get a house, you can get married, get a dog, and then you'll be happy and you'll have no problems. And so 
when I was able to achieve that lifestyle and I was like literally 15, 16, I was like, whoa, 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 because it, it, it's not real. Like I, I had, you know, issues with my self-esteem, issues with my self-confidence, issues with my mental health. And even though I made a ton of money and I had sort of achieved my previous unconscious definition of society, the definition of success, I quickly um, sort of became super confused. And I went from like really just sort of at least having a target, at least sort of trying to hit a target to being like, wait, what do I even do with my life? And I'm glad that that happened because it really, I think, has led me to a point of where, you know, a 22 year old like me is doing what I'm doing today because I sort of understand at least, at least, you know, in my own mind right now, um, you know, sort of the, the real definition of success. You know, I've had, I, I host a podcast too, and I've had people come on my show that have told me that when they had $750 million in their bank account, they were trying to kill themselves. And so when you really look at it that way, you really begin to realize that like, it doesn't matter what level of success or what kind of highs you have when your own worst enemy is the inside of your own brain that you can't run away from. And so that has really taught me the real definition of success. And then when it comes to like lows, um, you know, sort of a couple years after I had made a ton of that money, like two, three years later, and I was about 18, you know, I kind of hit another, I hit a rock bottom and it was, you know, me, you know, throughout all my life having faced social anxiety, that was always a lifelong problem for me. That became into like social isolation. And I actually began to like get depressed for like, the first time in my life at a serious level. And also at that time, I began to use food as an emotional coping mechanism to, to deal with life's pains. And I gained a tremendous amount of weight and I was over 200 pounds. And so um, for me, that eventually led to like me being suicidal for like two to three weeks to eventually kind of calming down and getting out of that through a series of, um, of, of steps that I had to make on my transformation. But, you know, when that happened, when I kind of faced that low, you know, one, I think it's great because the best part about hitting rock bottom, the best part about hitting like a real low is because when you're at that level, you have nothing to lose. And so when you have nothing to lose, you can actually use rock bottom as a foundation to actually build up brick by brick by brick because you have nothing to lose. And so I think for some people, it could actually give you like sort of unconscious permission to, um, to, um, to, to take imperfect action and to actually like try those things. And so I think sort of both of them have um, have like their, their points, but absolutely. I think life is a series of highs and lows. And I think it's all about, um, learning how to manage them better and efficiently. You know, it's interesting. Several of the, the highest performing people I know mentors in my life have, uh, had similar stories where, where there was yeah. this kind of rock bottom moment. In fact, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Buckminster Fuller and of course, he, yeah. So he, I mean, one of his stories that I found fascinating was, I think he was about 28 at the time, you know, his business had failed. He had lost a bunch of his friends and family's money was, you know, on the edge of throwing himself off a bridge. 
and just kind of had the same epiphany that you're talking about there. Like, okay, you know, if I take this step, I've killed myself. So essentially my life's over. So I'm going to go live the rest of my life as an experiment on what I can contribute. Like everything from this second forward is just gain. And I, you know, that was just such such an amazing turn. And you described it, it there as well. So I don't know if it would relate to other people, but you mentioned there were some steps in this transformation yeah. for you. Are there steps you can share that would be helpful to others? Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, this is, this is a pretty big topic. And, you know, when you look at the data, 850,000 people a year kill themselves, commit suicide. And so when I look at that and, and, you know, I talk a little bit about this in the book, after everything I've learned, when you look at the science and when I've gone through like my own personal story, I've really learned that I think suicide is a combination of sort of two sides to the coin. I think the first side is, um, it's sort of like what we've already talked about. It's like, are you actually living your own life? You know, if you are, um, if you have never lived your own life, if you are not your authentic self, then you are not going to be living your own life. And that is a very, very painful feeling. Okay. And then on top of that, it's like, are you actually living your life's purpose? Are you like living in the truth of your life or are you living in a world of lies and no responsibility and pessimism and nihilism and hating the world? And so I think, I, I think that's the sort of first half of it. And then I think the second half is something that honestly, not a lot of people talk about, and it is biochemistry. And so like I look, in, I, I look at the scientific studies in my book, like it's been shown that if you have inflammation in your brain that's mostly caused by the food that you eat, you have higher chances of getting depressed, being anxious, and even being suicidal. If you, for example, are not sleeping well, you're not on a schedule, or you're just not getting enough sleep for your body, that also skyrockets your rate of getting depressed and, and, and getting suicidal if that happens. And so I think there's a massive biochemical piece that quite frankly is missing in sort of a lot of this world's general conversation. And I think a big part of that is because sort of the, like this uh, acceleration of our lifestyle and our lifestyle's convenience because of, you know, the uh, the good things that technology brings us. That I think there's just a major piece missing in the conversation, especially when it comes from generation to generation. And so, like, what I'm talking about is like today, you have access to any kind of food that you want, and you know, a lot of people think of food just when it comes to physical health. Like, oh yeah, if you eat a ton of food, then you'll get overweight or you'll get over o- obese because you're eating too much food. Honestly, that's, that's a very small and shallow viewpoint. Food actually is instructions for your entire body. Like from the moment that you were born, from the moment your mom gives birth to you, all of your organs, they all replenish and recreate themselves through what you put in your mouth every day. And so when you actually look at the studies, I mean, they've shown you know, like this one study, for example, that took um, teenagers, took adolescents, and they took one group and they had them eat the American standard diet, which is basically just processed food, junk food, minimal, just like natural foods, like, uh, like meats and vegetables and fruits and things like that. And they had another group that did consume 
a healthy natural diet. And what they actually showed was a 100% decrease in suicidal ideation. And so for me, like when I was suicidal and I like slowly began to get out of it, one of the first things that I actually began to unconsciously do that I didn't actually know at the time was because I was obese, I was like, hey, let me try to lose some weight. And so that led me down a journey of just kind of understanding health. And then that also led me down a journey of understanding what nutrition is and, and how food is very much having, you know, it has a lot more to do than just like your waistline then it actually does like your brain size and how it affects your, your mental health. And so for me, like when I began to cut out processed foods, like um, just anything that comes in a bag, in a box, anything where you're at the grocery store, convenience store, and you flip it over and you look at the ingredients list and it, there's like some artificial chemical crap in there that's like red six titanium dioxide. Well, it's like if you don't recognize that right then and there when you're reading it, it's not because you're stupid. It's not because you need a degree to know what you're putting in your mouth. It's just simply because your body will not recognize those because it's been made in some kind of factory or, some, or by some scientists in a lab. And so the big thing is when you put something like that in your mouth, that can have ranging um, issues. That can have ranging consequences depending on the individual all the way from maybe you do get obese to anxiety, to having panic attacks. I mean, you know, there's a really emerge, there's one of the fastest growing fields of medicine right now is called nutritional psych- uh, psychiatry. And they're really beginning to understand that, like, what I have seen is like, I wanna say maybe 80% of your health has to do with the food that you put in your mouth. And I'm not just talking about your physical health either, I'm talking about your mental health too. And so, I think it's much easier to get someone who maybe is suicidal, maybe is depressed to just kind of like look at what they're putting in their mouth, what they're doing with their biochemistry. And that might be a lot easier than sort of like trying to have someone figure out their entire lives. And so that's a major piece that I can just give someone because it's, I mean, it seems a little bit overly simple, but it actually does work. And it's, it's been verified uh, by science and countless other stories like mine. You know, I am um, in no way a, a mental health expert, but I am. I, I do believe we don't have enough conversations about mental health, and I don't think we're necessarily having the right conversations. Right. And one of the things I've noticed is that quite often, um, mental health gets portrayed as kind of a binary thing. You know, you have it or you don't. It's yes or no. Mm, Whereas right. every other kind of health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health, we view on a spectrum, you know, we can be a little better, a little worse, you know, I can be a little more in physical, in shape, a little out of shape, but so often we don't think about mental health that way, you know, just mm-hmm. that I could be a, a little more mentally healthy or a little less mentally healthy. It, you know, we kind of go to these extremes in. So I, I guess my, my question for you is from what I you've seen. I love that by the way. Um, I love well, that. And I think um, like, if I can add to that, I think yeah. that like, like there's so much stigma around like that phrase mental health that quite frankly, I think we need to like rename it to something like brain health, right? Because like the same way that whether it's like your emotional health and you do that as a spectrum, but it's like the same way that like, if you have heart problems, you go to your heart doctor, 
the same thing really needs to happen for everyone's brain health. And people, like you said, like need to understand that like there's not a, a, a percentage of the population that has mental health. For sure, some percentage of the population might be prone to like a higher susceptibility of getting a mental illness, but everyone has mental health. Everyone has brain health the same way that if you have a body, you have physical health. And if you have a brain, you have mental health. And so I think there needs to be just a lot of like uh, just destigmatizing around like that word in and of itself, maybe just need to think about it in a different way. And, and I think when we do that, then we can really just begin to uncover these because here's the thing. Most people that experience mental health conditions or, or, or issues or, or, or scenarios, um, a major part is they're afraid to talk to people. They're afraid to get help, whether professionally or just talking to a friend because there's so much shame that's been built around that because they grew up in a society where it wasn't talked about as much or maybe people sort of like shushed it or they didn't really like it wasn't that important um and so i think there just needs to be a lot of work on that sort of uh category in like this sort of way that we perceive it just around the world at every level because if we can change this i mean we're going to be able to help a, a lot of people because again like there's a lot of problems out there in the world, but ultimately it's like everyone out there has a brain. And so if we can maybe, you know, get each person out there to just kind of understand that a little bit more, kind of understand like, Hey, I should do this. I shouldn't do this. I should actually care for my brain and my overall mental health. I think they're going to see a ripple effect uh, on, on the great of how it's going to impact every area uh, of their life. And then also like at companies too, um, and so I, I think, yeah, we definitely need to have this conversation. I think now in 2020, it's definitely starting to become more uh, of a thing. Well, you had mentioned uh, social anxiety. So, you know, that's a part of mental health. So uh, tell me about, so how did that show up for yeah. you? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, for me, like when I was in second, third grade as a kid, uh, my, my parents and I, we moved out of the city into a super rural uh, town with like 5,000 people. And um, the really interesting thing about this town was that there was no diversity. And so I was the only person that um, maybe about me and a couple other families in that entire town that looked different than other people. And so for me, like that really began to, and, and, you know, I experienced severe racism and bullying, and I also began to develop physical health issues. And so for me, I kind of began to develop social anxiety as quite honestly just a defense mechanism to sort of get to protect me against the environment that I was in. And so for me, I kind of lived like that for 10 years of my life, all the way until I was like eight, nine, until um, like 18, 19. And so that placed a lot of boundaries on my life. And, you know, personally for me, when I decided to actually write this book, Screw Being Shy, it was because, you know, social anxiety is the most common uh, anxiety um, condition in America. And when you actually look at how it's correlated when it comes to the data, social anxiety is heavily correlated with substance abuse and social isolation, both of which are connected to suicide. And so, I was sort of looking at this problem where like I had social anxiety and then I became suicidal. 
and the matter of the fact is, is like social anxiety, it's not just about how you, how you're afraid to talk to other people. It can also be defined as an excessive need to manage your own self image. And so that, um, neuroticism, I guess, can also heavily affect your self-esteem, your confidence, a lot of other areas in your life that then gets you whenever you're in a public scenario where you do have to use a substance or, or you say, no, I'm just going to socially isolate myself. And both of those are extremely bad for you. And so I kind of wrote this book because I was like, wow, there has yet to be a book that kind of talks to these specific kinds of people that kind of gets to the root cause and is very practical and is backed up by science that can really kind of help somebody do this. And, you know, the other thing to mention is like, you know, just to take a step back here and and just define some terms. So a lot of people, when I say social anxiety, they might think of like introvert. And the matter of the fact is, is introversion has almost nothing to do with being socially anxious. An introvert is defined as someone predominantly focused on their own thoughts and internal world, like their emotions, themes, feelings in life. And so you can be a quiet introvert and there's nothing wrong with that. But there are certain people who, you know, and again, it's also totally normal and natural to be shy every once in a while. Like you go to an event where you don't know nobody and it's sort of like the first five minutes. It's okay to be shy. But there are people who can fall into a pattern of being shy constantly. And what ends up happening is that ends up being a pattern that's actually substantiated and continued by their body. And their mind and body form this real fear feedback loop that then can enable someone to get social anxiety, where every room they walk into, every scenario they walk into, their brain's always working against them. They want to talk. They want to say things. They might even be a social person, but their brain is always talking them out of it. Whenever they have to talk, their, 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 their forehead or their armpits or their, the palms of their hands start sweating. Um, their mind starts racing. Their throat clenches up and, and tightens. Um, a wide variety of symptoms can occur, and that is what social anxiety is. And so there's a lot of sort of confusion about this when it comes to like introversion and, and shy people versus very shy people and socially anxious people. And so, you know, that's, that's sort of like the, the lay of the land when it comes to this in my book. And I greatly appreciate that distinction. Thank you. I, I am someone who is deeply introverted. And yet most of the, I, I know, you know, a couple dozen very good public speakers, and most of them are also introverts, which most people wouldn't guess. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the, there, there's overlap, there's correlation between introversion and shyness, but they are definitely sure. not one and the same. And, uh, you know, there are extroverts who are shy. There are introverts who have almost no shyness at all. They just prefer to be alone, but it has nothing to right. do with um, being nervous around others. And uh, exactly so, right. so, I mean, I think that's a, a really, really key distinction to make. And I always hate it when you see these articles about introverts that treat us like <laughs> these very delicate little flowers that will break if, you know, anyone looks at us. And I hate that. Anyway, so, um, yeah. uh, sorry, I could go There's down so that rabbit hole. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree with that, man. I totally agree. And that's why I wanted to do it because it's like, I mean, like, like you, I, I know so many successful people who are introverts. And I definitely think that if you naturally are an introvert, 
for sure. I think you, there's definitely a higher percentage or a higher likelihood of being seriously shy or having social anxiety. But like you said, I mean, I know extroverts who have social anxiety and like that can seem like a contradiction, but, but, but I mean, to some degree it is, but it's not. And I, I know extroverts who, um, really just like, it's, it's how someone's brain is structured. Like it's a personality trait. And so you can really be focused on the external world, um, like an extrovert, but you could also not really be shy or you can, when you are extroverted, you can almost pretend to be somebody else. Like I, like in kind of doing this research for the, for my book, I had a lot of people tell me like, Hey, you know what, Mark, I, you know, I'm not shy, but you know, when I, um, you know, or when I'm in this environment, I do get shy or when I'm acting not like myself or an environment that makes me not myself, I, I am shy. And so, you know, I definitely think it runs the gambit, but, but ultimately it's like, if you, like, if you see yourself walking into multiple like social scenarios where you have to communicate yourself and you're having a really tough time, then I think you just need to look at this a little bit closer because like there are ways to decrease social anxiety that have been clinically proven by evidence in sort of a holistic way that doesn't require you to, to, you know, quite frankly, like as long as it's not serious, even get professional help by any means. And so there are a lot of things that someone can start doing just sort of by themselves to kind of help manage this issue that I believe it's 10, 20% of adults in America experience and up to 40 to 50% of kids um, experience as well. And so there are, there are legitimate things that you can do to kind of help yourself do this. Because honestly, if what I've learned is that it all, honestly, like anything that you have to do in the world, that's worth doing. And for sure, there's a lot of things you've got to do by yourself, but a major part of just living is communicating yourself to other people. And it's communicating yourself to other people in, in a real way. And a lot of people who have social anxiety they often have trouble being their, their authentic selves because they have low self-esteem, they have low self-confidence. So they're like, oh man, who does this person who I'm talking to, who do they want me to be so they can think highly of me? And so it really just runs the gambit, but ultimately, um, you know, there are solutions for this and you just got to begin to open your mind a little bit, step by step, if you have this problem. Well, you know, in your, the title of your book, Screw Being Shy, suggests that there's a choice there. And so, I mean, you've hinted at or said that there's some things you can do. So what, I mean, just for the listener, what are kind of, you know, one, two, three of those things that are simple, may not cure everything, may not solve everything, but really gets you pointed in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I definitely think that there is a choice, but I also think that um, you, you know, you can't make a choice if you don't know it exists. Right. And so for me, like when I was 18, um, previously up to that point, I actually had no idea I had social anxiety. And so when I did become conscious of the fact that I did have social anxiety, you know, one, it kind of made me realize that, um, you know, one, first off, it gave me a choice, you know, it gave me an option of like, continue doing this or, or try to learn about this a little bit more and try to tackle it. And then number two was, you know, it, it really sort of, um, it gave me relief in the sense of like, because previously up until I knew I had, I didn't know I had social anxiety. I just thought that there was something wrong with me. 
Like I thought I was some moral failing. I could like I could never talk to my I could never open my mouth. I thought I was just some kind of like loot like isolated loner in like a bubble. And so when I realized I had social anxiety, I kind of find out, you know, my problem kind of went from like this thing that I couldn't change to it actually became more or less of like a science project. And and as you begin to learn about it, you're like, huh, you know, I can I can get curious, I can move this. I can move this knob. I can move this lever this way. I can experiment with this. Oh, that worked or, oh, that didn't. And so when it comes to social anxiety, I definitely think that when you become aware of it, you have a choice, but up till then, you know, that's, that's debatable. I don't know. Um, but I think when you do become aware of it, um, you know, there is a choice for sure. And like on my book, the cover, there's like these two sides of two different faces that are colored differently one of them is kind of telling one of them to, to shush and the other one is kind of speaking and is happy. And so I think it's, at the end of the day, it's your choice to be either one, although it's not necessarily like, you know, without trying to oversimplify it. And so one, two, three things people can do that have social anxiety. One, um, uh, you know, there was a study done uh, out of Stanford University that found that um, mindfulness meditation is more effective than uh, uh, treating social anxiety than most forms of therapy and medication. And so if you're not meditating, I highly recommend to look into that. And, uh, and then, you know, my book, I go into all these things like chapter by chapter, and there are also exercises at the end to, um, to kind of help people take action on these things because it's one thing to read it in a book, and then it's one thing to actually experiment with it. And then it's another thing to actually integrate that into your life on a regular basis. And so one is, I would say, meditation. Uh, Two is what I've already talked about of um, take care of your gut microbiome by eating healthy, natural food. Um, Try your best. And like, for example, there was a study done by the Bill Gates or um, the Gates Foundation run by Bill Gates and Melinda Gates that showed that the number one um, cause of death around the world is poor diet. The number one cause of death around the world is poor diet. It's not enough vegetables. It's not enough healthy fats. And like the number two cause I believe is cigarettes. And the number three cause is, um, is alcohol. And so I think when you can kind of look at those factors, just statistically, um, eat a better diet, don't smoke and try your best to, to limit alcohol wherever you can. Or you know, use alcohol to celebrate. Don't use alcohol as a medicine. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, who are using alcohol as a medicine, are using alcohol to cope with a lot of the pains and stresses in life, which is terrible because alcohol is a very bad medicine. It's, you know, causes physical addiction, causes a lot of mental health problems. And so there are definitely better ways to do that. And then number three is honestly like, um, what I would say is just try to understand a little bit about um, uh, human social behavior. And what I'm talking about is there are certain people who have social anxiety because they actually don't know how to be social. They actually don't know because they haven't been taught what it means to really act and be like a human being. And so I know that might seem like weird, but it's the truth. Like a lot of people don't understand things like uh, body language your vocal clarity, how someone perceives you if you're standing in a certain way, how you sound if you're standing in a certain way. And so I think if you can begin to look at the other forms of communication, that's not just verbal, like nonverbal, uh, visual, 
then you can sort of begin to get a, a better picture of how to actually communicate yourself um, to people. Because I know for me, when I was kind of stuck in this social anxiety bubble, I had no idea how to talk to people. I had no idea how to walk up to people and introduce myself. As, as crazy as that seems, there's a lot of people that actually go through that. And so if you can begin to learn about that, and in my book, I go all into it, then you can really um, kind of equip yourself with the tools to you know, not be necessarily super nervous about this one thing here or there. Well, you know, in, you know, from that, you can certainly see a, a downward spiral. And I think that's where introverts or shy people uh, suffer a bit. Like, you know, you're not comfortable with people, so you spend less time with people. So you never mm. develop comfort with people. So you spend less time with people, you know, right. it just, it goes from there. So, uh, so great. I love the, the simple practical things. Um, well, let me ask this. As we start to wrap up today, Mark, where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what I would say is go check out, go to Amazon. And um, if this uh, if this has interested you, you want more, uh, check out my book. It's uh, Screw Being Shy. And my name is uh, Mark Metry. And then if you want to just see everything I've got going on, probably the best place for that is just my website, which is um, just my first and last name.com, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Um, Brock, I appreciate you having me on, man. You bet. And, and final question for you here, question I always ask is, how can the listener help you? I mean, you do a lot to help others. What would your ask be of others to help you out? Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, I'm, you know, I just launched a book today. So I'm trying to, you know, if you, if you, if you are a CEO, if you're not a CEO, uh, if you know anyone that kind of struggles with this issue, definitely you know, tell them to check out the book. Um, you know, if it's someone in charge of an organization, definitely tell them, you know, if they have maybe employees or it's a school and they have students that struggle with this, which is a lot of people, definitely tell them to, uh, check out this book. And yeah, I mean, that's really it, man. I'm just trying to (laughs) tell people to check out the book as much as possible. Read it, uh, give me feedback. I mean, if you love it, definitely leave uh, an Amazon review. Um, that definitely helps for sure. I think to be honest with you, not that it's true, but I assume so. Uh, but yeah, that's that's how I that's how people can help me. Check out the book, uh, grab a copy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on, Mark. This has been great. Yeah, man. This, you're a great host. 